0: Don't go to bed when you're angry.
1: Tough times don't last, but tough people last.
0: You are more important than things that are easily acquired.
2: Welcome to Episode 2 of Elder Wisdom, Stories from the Green Bench. This podcast explores everything, friendship, tragedy, love, life, learning, and so much more, and it's all told by older adults. I'm your host for these bi-weekly podcasts. My name is Aaron Davis, and if you are in the greater Toronto area, I may have had the honor of waking you up every morning with my radio show. But these days I have a new co-host, and it's funny what comes into your life, isn't it? Or who comes into your life when you least expect it? I'm pretty sure he didn't expect it either. In his 85 years, Lloyd Hetherington has been a husband, father and grandfather, a teacher and a missionary. And like so many fellow seniors at Schlegel Village's retirement and long-term care homes in Ontario. He has a lot of stories to tell, wisdom to share, and questions to ask. How lucky I am that Lloyd is here to join us on the Green Bench, which is a place at Schlegel that represents rest and reflection, a spot to ask questions and offer advice. And that's what we're doing here today. We're joined by Sally Teresa Carter, who was born the year that King Edward VIII abdicated. Yup, 1936. Campbell's soup was four cans for a quarter, the average house price was $550, or what, the price of a fridge today, and you could buy a snappy new Studebaker for $650. Sally was raised in the UK, but has lived most of her adult life in Canada, enjoying traveling the world, plus working and teaching in the food industry and special education. Sally is a wife and mother, grandmother, and soon-to-be great-grandma. Of course, she's already great. And that's why Sally is joining us today from the village of Erin Meadows in Mississauga. So, Sally, first let me welcome you to the Green Bench. We are all friends here. And I'm, well, I'm frankly delighted to have a woman sitting next to me on the bench (laughs) and Lloyd too, uh, as we enjoy our chat today. Thank you for making the time to be with us. We're so looking forward to meeting you. And I'm looking forward to meeting you too, Erin. Well, we know a little bit about you. In fact, I happen to know, and not just from the sound of your beautiful voice, but your husband asked your dad, for permission to marry you, and said, look, we're just going to go to Canada for one year. That's right. Hmm. How did your parents react when you were leaving, not just the house, but the country, albeit supposedly, for one year? Well, my father was so upset. And he
0: pointed out everybody in the village that I came from who'd been to Canada, and they came back. And then I finally said to him, Well, were they any good before they went? (laughs) (laughs) And so the agreement was that because we were definitely coming back in a year, uh, he would pay for a house to be furnished when we got home as a wedding present. Ooh, Yes, that didn't happen. (laughs) Where in Canada did you come to? We came to Toronto. Well, actually, we came to Westport in the Rideau Lakes because I had a job to come to while we just got settled Mhm. And Len came up to Toronto and knocked on 380 doors before he got a job. Wow. Uh, yep, no Canadian experience. And we were young. I mean, it was unbelievable. When I think of um young people today, I was 21, Len was 23. Mhm. That was, you know, we were we had no money. Mhm. And I think my father thought if he didn't provide any I think he thought we might be home sooner. <laughs>
1: I can certainly relate to what Sally has been saying. Yeah. I married at about the same age and without a penny to our name. It was a challenge, but it was fun to do do it together.
2: Yeah. So, Sally, we're not going to fast forward too quickly here because this is too interesting a story. You had your job. Len finally got his job. And so you settled in what? In the Toronto area or over toward Westport?
0: I was doing a job at a hotel that was a summer resort. We found some lodgings with a couple, and we were in the basement. And uh, Len's job actually finished in, in about two and a half months. He got a job with an English company, and they went bankrupt. So our landlord would not take any money whatsoever, and Len finally got a job in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. I didn't go there until... We'd paid off what we owed the landlord because he said we could go. He was, he was fine with it, but I didn't feel this was the right way to do it. So that's what we did.
2: That speaks a lot to your character. It really, truly does, Sally.
0: It was his character, too. Mm-hmm. They were absolutely wonderful to us.
2: Wow.
1: Sally, I've heard that you've traveled a lot. Can you tell us of some of the adventures that you've experienced?
0: Well, the first adventure was Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan.
1: <laughs> okay, that's an adventure.
0: We really started our traveling quite a few years later. we I had a son. Uh, I got pregnant in, in Moose Jaw. Uh, well, there wasn't much to do. <laughs> and I came back to Toronto and I furnished the apartment for $1,000. Uh-huh. And... Len came back a little bit later. It ended up that he got another job, and he was in Calgary, but I've got this apartment, and my father paid my fare to go home to England to have the baby. And then when we came back, uh, my mom and dad and my younger sister, who's 15 years younger than I am, came back with me, and we went out to Melfort, Saskatchewan, (laughs) to see a relative of my dad's. Mm -hmm. Wow. And we didn't travel then too much, except in 1967, we... Decided this was centennial year, and we took three months, took Stephen out of school, and we skied Europe.
1: Wow. That sounds exciting. Yeah. How did you go about it? By bed and breakfast or pensions? or?
0: We skied and we went to hotels, and you could get really good deals with the pensions or the hotels, you know, small, small places, and uh, we skied for three months. Went down to Yugoslavia. Wow. And went on down to Istanbul. This was all part of that adventure. <laughs>
1: oh wow.
0: And then we um came back and uh settled down to a more normal life. Wow.
2: I think that anyone who has traveled with children will say that it was really part of the best education they ever could have had. Mm-hmm. How old was Stephen when he was traveling with you on this skiing adventure? On this journey, sixty seven, he was only six. Mm-hmm.
0: So we got sort of schooling for him, and three adults were telling him, and he was a wonderful skier, and he actually did train to go to the Olympics. I mean, he was a very, very good skier. Oh, wow. But then we didn't do anything more until we were, Stephen was 15. Dreadful, dreadful mistake to take him out of school at that time. But then got offered a job in Germany, and it was for a year again. And we were gone for...
2: Six years. Wow. You guys have real trouble with your calendars, don't well, you? Well, uh, yeah, it's timing. It's timing, <laughs> yeah, yes. <right>. yes. <laughs> but why Why do you say that it was such a mistake to take Stephen out of school at 15?
0: Well, it, we had a lot of problems. I was flying back and forward. Um, he went to the Wiesbaden American School, which was full of army brats. Mm-hmm. And they told him immediately he'd got too many credits and he didn't need to do too much uh, he had to take American history or something. I, I can't remember the details, but I know he he got seventeen. They only needed seventeen credits to graduate. He needed twenty seven to graduate here. Oh, and uh, he he really it really messed him up. Mm-hmm. But he did enjoy a party, and he did enjoy. There wasn't drugs. It wasn't anything like that. He was just skipping school and doing things. So um, yeah, we had our troubles. Mm.
2: And just the one child you had, Stephen, was yes. a, a limited yes. edition?
0: A limited edition. The best. Yes. The best.
2: And uh, and you're about to have a great yeah. grandchild. So let's get this straight, that young boy who went to school in, uh, in Germany and then earlier took that ski trip with you as a grandfather, yes. as of next March, you've got a great grandbaby on the way. Yes. Great Isn't great that grandchild. amazing? Yes, yes. So let's go back to your career. And you share some parallels again here with Lloyd, the travels, but also in education.
1: Yeah, Sally, I'm very, very interested in uh, your educational career. In what field were you teaching?
0: Stephen was really resenting a babysitter. So I decided to look at a career. Uh, and I was taking kids, I was working at Simpsons and taking kids in on their work experience from LSBT in Toronto. It's a special ed school. Mm-hmm. and the principal finally came down to see me to meet who meet who who is this that the kids all want to go and work with hmm. and we we decided he decided that I would make a good teacher so I got the paperwork that I needed I didn't need to do any training except two summers because I was teaching chef training right and and in special ed no. so I ran LSBD and then I Len came back from wherever he was and we went to Mississauga and I decided when we came back from Europe, Bayview Avenue was too far away and I was going to live in Mississauga. So I wasn't going to teach in BT anymore. So I left North York and came to Mississauga board.
1: That sounds really, really interesting. That special program they had back in the 60s was just fantastic. It was. It was the gateway for many, many people to enter into the education field.
0: It was really fun to be teaching kids that came into high school thinking they were stupid. Mm. You know, they'd been told, and they were failing two grades to, oh. to qualify, quote, as special ed, you failed two grades. Mm. And they'd come in, and I'm stupid. And they could oh. make food, and they could do things. And sometimes their math was so bad that they didn't know how to make something, a half of that. I'd say make half of that recipe. Well, make sure you've got the right quantities. And we we oh. really devised, and we did very, very well. They They could produce wonderful, wonderful meals. At the time they went out.
2: Do you ever hear from any of these students whose lives you affected so positively in that time, Sally? <laughs> I
0: have a couple, and I I um, retired in '96, so when I first left, I'd have uh, kids. Hi, Miss. Hi, Miss. How are you? And I still live in Mississauga, and I was teaching in Mississauga, so yes, and I'd have to look and well, okay. You do look familiar. I know I taught you, but I don't know your name. <laughs> mm.
2: What a legacy, uh-huh. isn't it?
0: Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't happen as much now, but I went to a reunion, a 20-year reunion a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and it was amazing, the kids bringing their kids to meet me. Wow.
2: Wow. Yeah, I'm sure you've yeah. had those moments, Lloyd, in all of your years of teaching when people have reached out to you and said, you know what? I remember you, Mr. Hetherington. I remember uh, uh, how you did this or said this or changed the path that I was on.
1: I d- definitely have had those experiences. And when they come up and say, well, I can remember, I wait for some profound bit of truth to come forth. <laughs> and often some incidental event that when, when people in particular... Wrote me a letter to say, I can still remember when you were teaching me. You told me that you'd better learn how to type, you can't write worth a hilipin. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Thanks. Yeah, oh. all those years of teaching, and that's what yeah. you got, right? <laughs> oh, jeepers. Oh. It was Confucius who said, Choose a job you love, and you will never have to work a day in your life. Yeah. It sounds like, Sally, you were in that fortunate position, probably not all the time, but a lot.
0: It's so great to have a husband that supports you 100%. So I, I if I didn't like something, I'd say, no, I'm not. There was an instance where I went in to fix a union problem by working nights for a week to sort out the problem they were having at Consumer's Glass. And my supervisor came in and told me, Okay, this was the big boss, you know. And he said, "Well, we want you to stay here for three months because it's we've never had this place so um, pleased, and they want you to stay." And I said, "I'm not staying." And he said, "Well, you know, you'll have to. You'll have to go and talk it over with your husband." I said, "I don't. Mm. You've got one week's notice if that's what you want." Mm. And it's very, very few people that can be that absolutely sure that they're they're right. <laughs> And of course, needless to say, I didn't quit because they very quickly adjusted the tune. Hmm.
2: So it sounds like you were, I won't say a woman ahead of her time, because my mother, who was born three years before you, was also cut of the same cloth, where it was indeed a partnership with my father, and he was gone a lot, he was Air Force. But my mom also had her own career path. And I don't think that other than the military moves, she did anything that she didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. Was that in your upbringing, Sally, or was it just something that you developed on your own? I was
0: for a long time. I have a sister eight. Well, she's passed away, but I have a sister eight years younger. But we had two boys and me. And we lived through wartime England, Mm -hmm. and my mother refused to let us go to be evacuated. So Goudhurst, where I come from, was the second worst bombed village in England. Mm. And it was because they were shooting the doodlebugs down and this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But I grew up kind of being independent, knowing what to do. My father did not know the difference between boys and girls. He didn't think there was any, you know. No double standard. There was no double standard ever. Mm-hmm. In any tree my brothers could climb, I could climb. Good. When I first got sent to the convent to kind of tame me down a little bit after the war, oh. um, I saw these great long halls and I said, oh, and I did cartwheels all the way up. And the nun looked at my mother and said, where does she come from? A circus? Mm.
2: <laughs> That's so. wonderful. So obviously you and Len are still together, low these how many years since 1957? Lloyd knows a thing or two about long marriages as well. 54, 64, 64.
0: We have our we have our letter from the Queen. Wow, congratulating us. Wow.
1: <laughs> well, you're on that topic, uh, Sally. When were you married? 1957. March the 23rd. Okay, I was married in April of
0: 1957. Okay, so, so we're yeah, so we're of an age and of a... uh, We're a dying breed, Lloyd.
1: I checked my uh, wedding certificate and there was no expiry date on mine, so that's why I I felt quite confident. I know,
0: I know. Our our one and only has been married three times.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's perplexing, isn't it? When you and your spouse are together for all that time, you think that perhaps you're setting an example for your offspring that this is how marriage works. Here is how we've made it work. Now you go out and do the same. Mm-hmm. Maybe you set too good an example and the standards were too high. Do you ever wonder about that, Sally? Not really because, you know, the first one we could have told him it wasn't going to last.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it was just the wrong mix but he was in love mm-hmm. and we, we try not to tell people what they should do.
2: That's where beekeeping comes into your life. When did you start that? Was it something to fill the time, keep you busy and moose jaw? What was it? Where's beekeeping in your life, Sally? No,
0: no, no, (laughs) no, 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 not. We came back from Europe in 1980, and we bought a large property up in Brampton. We had um, four and a half acres, and I have a brother that was a beekeeper, and Ah. I worked with him a little bit. We lived in England for a couple of years, so we bought our first beehive. And uh, geared ourselves out. Well, then you might as well have two. And uh, they gradually, when they swarm, you know how to collect them up and put them in another hive. And we ended up with eight hives of bees. Mm. And about that time, Lane got transferred to Calgary. Uh-oh. And I was the beekeeper.
2: <laughs> wow.
0: And I was we were going to sell the house and move to Calgary as a last move because it's so close to good skiing. Mm-hmm. And... um it was in the downturn and we, it didn't happen. He then flew, flew back and forth every weekend. The company paid for that, but he would come and do the beekeeping with me, of course, on weekends.
1: You had your own apiary then and extracted the honey? And
0: well, No, we just, well, we had eight beehives. So yes, it would be an apiary, you know, right. if you want to call it that. But it's, um, we would give honey... Anybody and everybody, whenever we went out, you know how you take a Mm. bottle of booze, but we always take a couple of pounds of honey and people just loved our honey.
2: Lovely. I was going to ask you if you sold or what you did or if you made candles or any of the things that people who run apiaries have.
0: We would sell enough to pay for the medications because you do have to make sure that they haven't got the European foul brood and the different things. So they had to be medicated. And that would be maybe six hundred dollars a year, and we would take honey down to Campbell's Soup in Toronto in Lakeshore, mm-hmm. and they are mostly huh? European workers, and they love raw honey, and they would call Len the Honey Man. <laughs> we we could sell all we took there every year, and they had a, a bazaar type of thing once a year. Yeah, and we could sell the honey and to people that really wanted raw honey and that was how we just used that that money but other than that we never sold honey
2: hmm honey man that's yeah, so the cute honey
0: man here's the honey man
2: yeah did you ever call him that he's my honey <laughs> 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 that's
1: so cute. oh sweet
2: I'd like to go back to your life in education. We're hearing so much about educators and teachers these days, especially as parents come to this aha moment of how difficult it is to homeschool their children or virtually school them. What do you think, if you had any advice to educators and parents alike during these trying, trying times... Sally, as an educator who obviously got through to her students in special ways, what advice do you give to them today?
0: Oh, Erin, that's a difficult one. I think education has changed so much. We are perhaps pampering too much, but I think if kids want to learn, they will learn. And I have a grandson that did a dreadful job in school And he's just been promoted and he's doing a reading blueprints course because he's going to be an assistant superintendent with the building company he works for. Hmm. And he was a dreadful, I thought, I really thought he was quite special ed. He was never sent to special ed because he was in the Catholic system, but he, you know, Andrew just didn't like school. But if he, once he's found something in life that he loves, and I think that's the important thing to find something that you like.
1: Sally you're so right on. The school curriculum is just not suitable for everyone. No. We try to fit everyone into a few small molds and yeah. a lot of people just don't fit.
0: That's right. That's right.
1: I, I had a lad back uh, many many years ago who loved cars. He lived for me. He, he spent all his time under the hood. Yep. But in school you want to leave him with special education. Yep. Well if you went back to that community now and saw his garage and all uh, the gas pumps there and the service bays yeah. you never believe it was the same person that yeah. would would have been labeled a failure in school
0: That's right I think the kids are learning perhaps a huge lesson in life right now but I wouldn't want to be a teacher trying to cope with this system because I don't know I don't know how they're doing it
2: What do you think the lesson is that they're learning right now Sally
0: I think there's they're perhaps learning to think outside the box. School isn't rote anymore, is it? Mm-hmm. And there are choices to be made and they would have to debate with their parents, which is the best method for them. I'm I'm particularly talking about high school students. Mm-hmm. I think things will change and maybe learning will get easier for students.
1: I was going to observe that the world has become so complex and so challenging that even now, when we try so hard to teach certain basic, basic skills to the students, mm-hmm. they're obsolete within a few years of the of, of the time they're learning. Exactly. So some of them say, "Why bother? It's going to be out of date. I'm not. I'm not interested." And so, teaching the skills are fine for in the short term, but I believe so strongly that behind the skills has to be a teacher that is inculcating values and standards and uh, so that uh, even if what they learn is going to be out of date in a few years' time, the values of honesty, integrity, and hard work will show forth.
0: Really good. Right on. Right on. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: yeah. It's like the proverb that if you're planning for a year, sow rice, and if you're planning for a decade, plant trees. But if you're planning for a lifetime, educate people. Yeah. And I just want to go back to you, Lloyd, that kid that you said should learn typing because he had terrible handwriting, who writes by hand anymore? You were prescient. (laughs) You were before your time, Lloyd. He most certainly
1: was. One of my few prophetic utterances. Oh,
2: we're, we're hanging on your wisdom here, Lloyd. Don't kid yourself. Oh. So, Sally, now you keep busy. I understand you're uh, you're a bridge player. My grandmother was a bridge player, and she stayed so sharp. This woman tried to teach me bridge, and I was far too busy <laughs> having conversation. You'd have hated me as a partner. But she would remember who what was in people's hands three tables ago. Do you believe that bridge is part of the reason that you are so incredibly sharp and who you are today when so many others simply are not?
0: No, I couldn't say that because I don't think anybody has dementia or has forgetfulness because they're not smart. It's just a disease. Right. And it seems to be rampant. So I I couldn't say that, but it certainly keeps you on your toes. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, It It sharpens your skills, doesn't it?
0: It, it does. It, and In yeah. you, your memory, It's pe- when people say, well, how do you know, you know, that's the 13th one and it's good. And, and they say, well, how do you know that? I said, well, because I'm counting. Huh. But I am a person that plays bridge. We play best bridge online and we, we play twice a week here. And it's not the same bridge, but it's still being social and it's important.
2: Oh, I'm so excited to hear you say that you play Bridge Online because to hear you embracing the technology and using it for things that give you pleasure, it's such a wonderful thing. It really is. Absolutely. And I don't mean to sound patronizing no, or anything. No. It's just like, good, yay. Exactly.
0: I, who'd ever heard of Best Bridge Online and who'd ever heard of a Zoom meeting? And mm-hmm. we've learned a lot. Yeah. And if you keep your mind open to learning…
2: And just what you're doing today with Lloyd and with me from three completely different locations, two different time zones, and yet here we are having a chat on this virtual green bench. You have to love it.
0: Isn't it amazing? Um, Isn't it amazing? Yes.
2: If you were going to give us advice, Sally from the 84 years that you've learned and maybe it's one of those things well if I'd known then what I know now here's what I would do or be differently what would you like to tell your 25 or 30 year old self what advice do you have for people who are listening to us here today if
0: i can answer that in the middle of the night when i think about no. it <laughs>
2: <laughs> i get you i hear um, you
0: oh golly that's i mean not everybody can do what they want everything i've said today sounds like it was easy. It wasn't. You know, it was always hard work and always doing what's best for both of us. We had a a saying in our house, and you may have it in yours too, Erin, don't go to bed when you're angry. Now, even today we can burst out, I can say something, I can't believe you just said that and ba 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 ba. Um, Len has always been the one that says, I'm sorry. Next morning you say, what was that about? It was so stupid. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I would say just always work it out. Always just uh, think about it in the light of day, not not when you're tired and grumpy. Mm-hmm.
2: Lloyd, can you speak to that?
1: I certainly can. Personal relationships are a top priority more than anything else. Yeah. If I had anything to say to the young people, find your friends, choose them carefully, build the relationships, and then build out from that to uh, your par- your family, to uh, your community, to the elders, so that you can learn from the experiences and the life of others. The very best education of all is living with other people and beginning to understand and appreciate who they are.
0: Absolutely. I like what Lloyd said. When we came back from all of this travel, we realized you never lose friends you only make more
2: thanks for letting us into your circle of friends today Sally we really appreciate it
0: okay well it was really really easier than I thought it was going to be
1: Ah! (laughs) I I just value meeting you Sally you have so much to share and uh, it's amazing the common bridges we have because of friendships yes good to have met you Sally
0: it's really nice meeting you too Lloyd and Erin the same for you made me feel very much at ease
2: no, oh, oh, I'm so glad. Love to you, Sally, and thank you. Thank you again so much. Take care, be careful, and uh, God bless. Ah, oh, It's time to move on from the green bench and let someone else sit here and have a chat today, but we're going to return on our next episode with Doug Gilmore, not the one of hockey fame. This Doug is a 95-year-old man who lost an arm in the 1940s and suffered immeasurable family tragedy too but continues to live a full life and even wrote a book to share his trials and triumphs. I hope you'll join my co-host Lloyd and me again. Please subscribe for additional episodes every two weeks. You'll be notified just as soon as they're up and ready for you to enjoy. We invite you to please share your thoughts and opinions on social media using hashtag ElderWisdom to help others find us too. Please just take a moment to rate and review the Elder Wisdom podcast, won't you? I'm Erin Davis. Thank you for your time and we'll be talking with you again soon. Your seat on the green bench is ready and
1: waiting. Elder Wisdom. Stories from the Green Bench is brought to you by Schlegel Villages, a complete continuum of care, offering independent living to long-term care, celebrating and honoring the wisdom of the elder. To learn more about us, please go to our website, schlegelvillages.com.